do you call that a deconstitution, baby? Basically, uh, <laughs> baby. There's different words. <laughs> that word came out wrong. Do <laughs> you call that a deconstitution, baby? Um, that's not. What oh, I, meant to I say. thought you said maybe. No. Maybe. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff for episode 180. <laughs> we wow, are knocking fantastic. on 200 episodes before yes. long, uh, but we're glad to have you, dear listener, with us uh, along for this one. Uh, I'm here as always with my good friend, uh, Pastor Daniel Fox. Good to see you this morning. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, uh, before we get too much further into the conversation today, we do want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. Uh, that is, if you're unfamiliar with it, a place where uh, podcast listeners and really any other uh, listeners or consumers of creative content can support uh, works that they uh, enjoy listening to. And uh, we have a number of uh, really faithful and loyal supporters over there uh, that help us pay our editors. Uh, we do. That take care of the uh, the blog and the uh, website and, and the audio uh, of this podcast. Uh, and we're grateful for them. And you guys help support them as patrons of Reason Together Podcast. If you'd like to join uh, up and, and help support this, uh, you can go over to patreon.com slash reason together and pick one of the various support levels there and you get some perks out of that. Uh, we just had a, uh, a podcast listener become an elite patron yesterday. Yes, we did. Uh, so welcome, Sydney, uh, to the patron family. That's uh, we're right. Glad to have you on board. He's welcome a, aboard. A, Thank you so much. Yeah. At, uh, I just, it's neat. We just kind of see a faithful, it seems like a, a regular, um, you know, uh, increase of, uh, of patrons, uh, not five a day, but I mean, it's yeah. just, uh, I appreciate the ones that just decide to sign on and, uh, yeah. and, uh, Get on the yeah, bandwagon thank you. here. Thanks. Thank you, Sydney. Appreciate that. Sydney's a good dude, so good to have you along. <laughs> All well, right. Um, I sound a little different here this morning, don't I? Yeah. Yeah, you do. At least to me, and I probably to yeah. them a little bit. What? Well, yeah. So I'm in a different room here. Um, <laughs> b- because he's in a different state. Yes. Yep. You you and I are actually in the same time zone at the moment. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Really? Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, you are now. Okay. We are. Okay. We used to have to coordinate these episodes with different time zones, but now we're in the same time zone. <laughs> yes. No. But uh there's there's a reason for that, I suppose. <laughs> there is, and that will be really the uh, meat and potatoes of our episode today uh is uh is talking about Tom's recent move and what led him to it. I uh I I was thinking about this episode coming up to it and I thought about, so I'll just throw it out there, but honestly, and then I go, Oh, I cringe at this joke at my own. Can you imagine that me cringing at my own joke? But I was, you know, you could, I would imagine it, but I've seen you do it. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to Fair imagine my very dad much. Joke. But I just thought, uh, <laughs> you know, it really draws the attention, you know, a lot of, a lot of clicks. If you say, you know, Tom has transitioned, um, Given oh, the current political climate, no, but I know it's like he now identifies as he man or something like that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, I'm anyway. That's stupid joke. And uh, so, Rosby, feel free to edit that one out and uh, 
<laughs> and put the intelligent filter on me. And mm, uh, no, actually, no, no, you can, you can leave it in and I'll, I'll say why, because <laughs> that's a good point to make that there is an entire cultural movement of people uh, in this country that have ruined good words. Oh, that's, that's a good point. Uh, they just start redefining and, and, and hacking things to pieces until things are unintelligible, kind of, right? Right. Well, it's like there's certain words you just have to stop using anymore because it always brings up something in someone's mind. Um, and, and that word transition has come up in this move because when you move from one state to another, you are transitioning to a different phase of life, a different chapter. <clears throat> and uh, Pastor Dietrich, uh, our mutual mentor, um, has uh, mm -hmm. has said that, you know, in talking with me about it, you know, the, he kept saying, until your transition is complete. And every time he would say that, <laughs> I would think in my mind, oh, that word, it's just that word. It's been so misused and, right. and so misappropriated now that it just sounds weird. But for all of you listening, uh, if you hear that Tom has transitioned, as Pastor Fox has said, all that means is I've moved from Connecticut to another place. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, mm. but more than that, um, it has meant for you in some ways, a, uh, a vocational change, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, not mm -hmm. a, not a heart change, uh, but, uh, you know, as far as the heart to serve, but a vocational change to some degree, uh, right. you were, um, uh, you were trivocational, I think, at least, and now you're only bivocational. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, these words. These yeah. words. Why do they have to be so weird now? Why can't they just be normal words? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I was trivocational when I lived in Connecticut because I was pastoring a church uh, that we had planted, and I was working in a surgical center. Um, and I was running a small business. So I guess that's three vocations. Um, mm -hmm. here, um, I, I really, I only have one, I guess you'd say. Yeah. The shop isn't opened <laughs> up yet, but <laughs> not yet. And, and I might not reopen it. I don't know. It just kind of depends on how things go. Yeah. Um, yeah. listeners are probably listening going, what is he talking about? How did he end up there? What? It's, a, it's probably <laughs> yeah. news to all of you listening. Um, but just, just to, uh, just to kind of set the record straight, we've moved to Tennessee yeah. and, uh, yep. this is a, this is a new chapter for our family. And, uh, this would be a scary thing if the Lord was not in it. Uh, I mean, seriously, I would be terrified, um, <laughs> doing what we did here if the Lord was not in it because so much of it was, um, happened so quickly and um, there were decisions in it that people might look at and go, boy, that seems kind of risky. But, you know, a decision is not risky when you know that the Lord is in it. Um, and, and I'll tell you, we've just been so blessed. Um, I was telling you last week when we were up there, maybe it was you I was talking to about this. I was saying, I just, I almost feel spoiled. Um, <laughs> the Lord has just, showered so many blessings on us in such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like concentrated blessings and it's almost overwhelming. And, uh, um, <laughs> that, that, I guess that kind of helps when, when you're doing something that 
you know, yeah, people sure. might think is a little bit scary, but you know the Lord is in it. It helps when the Lord just showers blessings on you and you go, wow, he really must be in this. <laughs> <laughs> so... <clears throat> Good, good. Well, to give a little, uh, now, I, I imagine that many people uh, that listen to the podcast um, are somewhat aware of your your uh, background and what had, where you had been here for the last decade almost, but some might just be tuning in and, uh, and you're wondering, who are these guys? What are they talking about? Uh, Tom, about 10 years, nine years ago, right? I think it was. Um, yeah, somewhere was, there. Was sent out of our church here in Missouri. Uh, to plant a church or sent out uh, from our church um, to Connecticut. And uh, his family went there and rooted uh, there and be uh, and and faithfully sowed seed uh, in a in a difficult place. and um, and you saw people reached. you led people to the mm-hmm. Lord. and that's that is a neat uh, a neat thing. And then um, if I maybe maybe I'm moving too fast, Tom, but I'll just I want I want to kind of mention it and then you and then we'll kind of back. Uh, we'll step back and talk about the details, but then just felt that uh, the Lord through uh, through several different um, whatever you want to say messages through 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 several means was indicating um, the work that I wanted you to do here is done, and and so then uh, Tom in a short period of time uh, recognizing what the Lord was doing um, did some research and ended up moving, and so that that's that's largely what we're talking about, but. Mm-hmm. That doesn't come without uh, a lot of questions, not only questions on Tom's part, but questions on the part of other people, too. And, yeah. and we hope to maybe address some of that today, because I think it would be a help um, to those who have uh, either been in ministry or not been in ministry just to have maybe a proper perspective. Um, well, and even those who might be considering ministry. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's important for them to hear stories like this. You know, I hope that doesn't sound self-aggrandizing, but um, I think people going into ministry need to be aware of some things about exiting a ministry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's some things you should be be warned about or, or at least cognizant of before you go into ministry. Um, <clears throat> so maybe it'll be of help. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, but here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so why don't you start off um, uh, in, in, in any of this that you you know you feel like you don't want to share? It's too personal. Don't. Um, but um, I guess uh, first of all, I, I just say that of course I knew I know you're closer than than most. Um, so I had a little bit of a closer view to what was going on. Um, but if you know Tom, Tom is a, a worker. And so he was working, 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 like we said, trivocationally, um, but working to uh, to invest uh, in the lives of people alongside of a couple of jobs that he was working. Of course, he's preparing to preach. He's um, w- what were some steps that you had taken um, in the community to try to connect with people? Let's just kind of go back that far. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm almost tired just thinking about it. Um, so, uh, you know, the the traditional means of of reaching an area uh, with the gospel, at least in our circles and in recent generations, has been to knock on doors and uh, talk to people at their doorstep, uh, or sometimes just simply blitz an area and hang things on doorknobs and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's all fine and good if that is uh, useful in your area. Uh, great, good on you. Um, 
I will say this without any reservation whatsoever. Um, it is well nigh, uh, worthless to do that in the neighborhood that we lived in. Mm -hmm. Um, it just just really didn't like standing at their door talking to a stranger. No, not at all. Not at all. They, they hate it. Uh, you're viewed as a predator. You're viewed suspiciously. Um, and there's no way that in that five minute interaction, if, if you get an interaction that someone is going to just bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment, um, Mm -hmm. unless by some wildly intervening circumstances, they've already been led of the Lord in some way to be studying the gospel and, and, and looking Mm -hmm. and searching for truth. And then all of a sudden, just by providence, you show up at their door. That in my experience is a very rare uh, scenario in the area we lived. Maybe it's more common in some other places, but not where we lived. In nine years, did you ever see that happen? Never. Never. Okay. So in what, fact, what, in in nine years of ministry there, we never saw a single visitor, uh, a single prospect that was positive, uh, a single uh, decision, uh, if I can use the word for salvation. Uh, hardly ever even a positive response at all from that method. From that method. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how did you uh, connect or get into homes then? We did a lot of mailings. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's another way where you sort of feel like you're throwing your money away <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. church, but you you want to, it's, it's not just about seeing results. It's about actually giving your due diligence is, mm-hmm. is what it's about. So um, whether you see the results knocking on doors or not, or, or mailings, there are things you need to do so that you have done your due diligence. Um, and mailings was another one of those things. So, um, we would send out, we sent out thousands, maybe tens of thousands in the years that we were there mm-hmm. of mailings. Uh, some of them were just invitations. Some of them, we actually printed our gospel tracts right on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one got the worst response ever. Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Invitation. So, not, not so bad. Uh, gospel stop, stop filling my mailbox with this stuff. Right. Okay. I would get, I would get, uh, angry letters, uh, sent to us, um, I had letters that were meticulously crafted, uh, pages long, attempting to refute what we were teaching. Uh, hmm. I got uh, voicemail voicemails left on my on the church phone line um, where someone was like a, a Satan worshiper, and they're like hissing and cursing and angry. Um, not not exaggerating at all. Literally hissing, like making weird sounds. Um, we had all sorts of strange occurrences happen. Uh, with trying to reach the people in in that town, and and we were not the first church plant to ever attempt there. We were the fourth attempted independent Baptist church plant in the city of Norwich, Connecticut. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And the three prior to us uh, eventually left and or fizzled out in one way or another, um, or the pastor moved and the church kind of dissolved, um, similar to our situation. <clears throat> but uh, all that to say. Um, that was, th- those are some of the more maybe common methods that we use was, mm-hmm. was knocking on doors or blitzing areas and sending out mailings. Otherwise, um, I can say that through, if you will, um, life experience, basically by doing something with people, you use that as an avenue of building a relationship and then being, being an influence, i.e. 
at your other job uh, at the sure. Surges Center or, you know, because obviously you're working alongside these people. So you're being salt to them there. Um, yeah. And honestly, you were you were that here before you left when you worked at a hospital here. I think you were an influence there. Right. You had conversations, uh, gospel conversations, if you will. Uh, there. So you use that avenue of the people that you worked with. Um, and then uh, you joined um, an MMA gym, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things that we did um, for outreach. And and even before before getting to that, we, we had other public events that we would do because that's another common means mm. that churches reach out with public events. Okay. Yes. So we would have uh, like friend day, it's called. Some churches will do mm-hmm. that. It's just an excuse to invite people to church. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would do friend day. Um, we had, I'm sure we had others that I can't think of at the moment. One, one of the things we did was a, like a public Q&A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I um, recall that now that you mention it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did it for four Wednesday nights and we invited people from the general public to come and ask questions. Uh, really anything. And I'll tell you, I got some good questions. Um, I even had, believe it or not, a question about canonicity <laughs> when we were there yeah, during that. A skeptic a- who didn't believe the Bible wanted to know how it is we can call a book written by man and compiled by man, uh, <laughs> quote unquote, <laughs> um, the word of God. So that was a good question. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so that was one means of outreach we did. Um, but yeah, it, it mostly in our area, it came down to personal relationships with people. Mm-hmm. Um, that became the most fruitful means for us. Uh, the mixed martial arts gym was basically one of two choices. I was either going to go to the community college and start taking classes mm-hmm. and try to be a witness in the classroom uh, to students and to professors and things. And uh, it was between that and joining an MMA gym. So I went with the MMA gym <laughs> and I'm, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. It was a good experience. I yeah. did that for six years uh, there and it became the most fertile ground for conversations about the gospel. Uh, nearly every class uh, that I took there, when the class was over, I'd end up standing out in the parking lot talking with someone uh, about the things of God and and or giving a track uh, tract. And uh, we had the most visitors we've ever had in all the years that we were there. Uh, pretty much all the visitors we had um, that were prospective folks were from the gym. Uh, hmm. there. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, there was. Uh, in fact, I don't. I don't want to uh, spoil the story too much by getting too far ahead. But it did result in one man coming to know Christ uh, eventually yeah. Yeah. Uh, after after probably closer to seven years. Um, uh, a man that I knew from the gym there uh, reached out to me and came to the church uh, to meet with me and talk with, with about some things. And long story yeah. short, he ended up trusting Christ um, and is fruit that remains. Praise the Lord. Good. So, but I, we never saw that from door door to door never right. saw that from the mailings or anything it was from personal relationships Descri- um, go ahead okay. describe um the uh the city's uh perspective as you were trying to find a building or you know establish a location um 
outside of say just the you began in a hotel, correct? Mm-hmm. A hotel conference room, correct? And then in, hall, yep. and in trying to establish something a little more permanent, maybe describe a little bit of the uh, the uh, uh, roadblocks you had there. Sure. I mean, to say it in the most colloquial sense possible, they hated my guts. <clears throat> um, they uh, they wanted nothing to do with our church. And I don't know how they knew about us that much. I mean, they have churches that come and go in that town all the time, little uh, tabernacles of deliverance and praise, Pentecostal churches like that, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and little pop-ups here and there that start. Um, a lot of them start without seeking the, the, the city's uh, approval at all, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things the zoning manager uh, told me, the zoning officer. And that kind of didn't put churches in good graces with the town to begin with, but they mm. would let them in. They, they would still let them in. And when it came to our, our attempt, <clears throat> we were trying to get out of that banquet hall and get into a more permanent place. And I would go before the, the zoning officer. I got to know her personally. Uh, she's not currently the zoning officer there anymore, but uh, I would come in and I'd say, how about this area? And she said, nope, churches aren't allowed there. And then a few weeks would go by and some little church would pop up there. Some some new Pentecostal or non-denominational <laughs> or Southern Baptist thing from down south, you know that the, the SBC was doing things like that. They would they would send people up there to start these churches, and they would start them as non-denominational, hmm. and buried deep on their website would be a link somewhere at the bottom in tiny print to the SBC. <clears throat> hmm. um, so that the, they would start up no problem. They'd have no trouble getting into whatever area of town they wanted to. And for us, we just kept getting denied, 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 denied. It mm-hmm. was, it was unfair enough <clears throat> that I contacted the Christian law association and I asked them, can they do this? <laughs> How is it that they, they can, can totally just zone us out like out. that? Yeah. And- and he said, unfortunately, that the way that it's written, uh, they can do that. Um, but we were left without recourse there, uh, without getting mm-hmm. a, a permanent place to meet. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, this big castle church, it was called, started right in the downtown area, right smack in the center of it. <laughs> when we were always told churches weren't allowed there. And I asked them, what about getting a variance and having like a public hearing? They said, nope, it's not even allowed to do that. That's what I was told. Hmm. And then some universalist Unitarian church started up a few doors down from that. (laughs) So it's like it was unfairly applied. Um, But anyway, all that to say, we eventually got a space, but it was in the next town over right on the border. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... Yeah, so essentially could be local, but just right over the border into the next. Uh, exactly. Yeah, the next so, and, hmm. yeah, and I think that frustrated some of our supporters for a while because they're like, oh, what did he give up in Norwich and move to the next town? No, we still continued our ministry in Norwich just like we always had. It's mm-hmm. just our meeting place was just over the line in mm-hmm. Basra, uh, next door to, the, to, to Norwich. Um, <clears throat> and, and Basra would let you do pretty much anything. So, that, now, that gave us our meeting spot. I'm, I'm curious, uh, so maybe a side question here, um, is how, how effective do you feel like your website was to what you were doing there? Um, how, how important is it to have um, a nice website? Because I, I could see a young church planner going out and feeling like he's got this list of 
all the methodologies, right? He's got to have a good website. He's got to do this. He's got to do that. He's got to do that in order yeah. to be a success. Was that, was that uh, part of the success that you had? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean by effective and what you mean by success. So mm-hmm. um, when, when it comes to a website, it will effectuate uh, visitors. It will make them feel more comfortable coming. Because hmm. you look website, more legitimate. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. But that doesn't necessarily translate to fruit. Right, right. It, it almost never does. Um, it just results in visitors coming who are surprised that your church is so small uh, and so, you know, informal, (laughs) I guess, Um, because we had a professional looking website. Um, So people would often be surprised when they'd come and we're meeting in a storefront. You know, we didn't have our own building or steeple or anything. And we, Mm -hmm. there'd be less than 50 people there. And, you know, people were often surprised by that because the website looks so nice. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there is a value to it um, in just demonstrate, you know, and I think it's one of those things, if you do, do it right, do it mm-hmm. well, so that it doesn't speak poorly of you that, oh, look at this old hick website, you know, it looks like it was built in the 80s uh, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, there, um, there, I still get emails from folks uh, looking for missionary support and the links to their sending churches sometimes are embarrassing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it looks like, you know, early, you know, mid, mid to late nineties, uh, websites <laughs> with clip art and pixelated <laughs> graphics and all sorts of mm-hmm. weird little, you know, flash things. It's, it's like it's do a, better. Yeah. It's just a, a thing that could be, could be cleaned up and made to look more professional and, and a better reflection of, of what the church is. Um, right. oh, okay, good. So, um, you got there. These are the ways that you connected. These are the, some of the difficulties that you faced. Um, uh, certainly the cost of living was, uh, was high or higher. Uh, is yeah. it, was it higher than where you're living now? Uh, as far as like, uh, groceries, you're not going to see a whole lot of difference. Okay. Okay. Um, gas prices, maybe a, a, a small difference. Um, yeah, you're not going to see it too much there where you're going to see it is in the taxes. Hmm. Okay. Okay. You sure. know, so we, we had, uh, we paid, I think it was over $9,000 a year in taxes. Oh my. Between real estate, personal property, um, those two things. Yeah. So yeah, the taxes hit us hard um, there. Whereas I think where we are now in Tennessee, it's like 2000 a year. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and uh, did... I, and I, I guess I want to ask something about the political climate, not sure where to go, but I just saying, I, I guess, obviously there's a connection where in the Northeast it's, it's more stereotypically uh, liberal at least, right. That uh, does also probably go hand in hand with um, a religious coldness. Would I be right in that? Um, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. And it's going to differ even by towns. So there might be okay. people listening who are from Connecticut and they're like, I don't think my area, my state's all that liberal. Well, it may just be your town. Mm-hmm. We noticed mm-hmm. a dramatic difference from town to town. So for instance, Basra, where the church ended up being, was a little more hick. It was a little more country. 
Um, and I use that term loosely, you know, where you live in Missouri, Basra would not have been considered country, but for (laughs) Connecticut, it was right. And it kind of has a reputation as being a little bit redneck. Um, uh, Lebanon was the same way as an area up by Lebanon, very Mm -hmm. country up there. Mm -hmm. And then the further you go towards Massachusetts, uh, that corner of Connecticut is very spread out and, and wooded. Um, but like for instance, Basra and Norwich right next to each other, uh, very different feel to them. Yeah. No- Norwich was very liberal feeling, um, and 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 we, we were in with the people. We knew the people. Mm-hmm. We were we were known in town, and they knew they knew us. We knew them. Um, much more hmm, politically left leaning, whereas if you go into Basra, is a little more right leaning. Okay. Okay. So. Um, now talk about, and, and if we're skipping something, feel free to say so, but, um, when you felt like this is, uh, God is done with us here, uh, what were the steps that you took to transition the ministry? I mean, you didn't just, mm-hmm. uh, sure. you didn't just announce I'm done, gone, I'm moving, but right. you felt the responsibility to, uh, deal with these sheep. And, uh, mm-hmm. and of course you have, uh, you know, 50 loose ends as far as the building and this and this and this. So t- tell me some of the steps that you took. Well, first let me, w- let me talk about the phrase when God is done. Um, yeah. yeah so yeah. when, when it's, so when you, when you, when you shut down a ministry, it's not people, there's a stigma to it. Sure. So, mm-hmm. And the decision to close down a ministry is harder, way harder than the decision to start one. Because you Mm. know, when you close down a ministry, you're going to be dealing with the unfair scrutiny, uh, unfair prejudgment or prejudice of a lot of people who are in our circles that know you're conducting ministry there. They're going to immediately uh, suspect something bad happened. They're going to immediately suspect anything from uh, as simple as you're a quitter all the way to you, you send some immoral thing and disqualified yourself. And they're they're going to think, yeah. yeah, and had to leave. They're going to think all sorts of evil things of you because uh, I don't know how your experience is, but you know, in, in my experience in Baptist circles for much of my life, most of my life, and in fundamentalist circles for, you know, basically my adult life, uh, there's very little first Corinthians 13 love mm. for each other. Uh, so as soon as something happens, we think evil, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, love thinketh no evil charity thinketh no evil. Um, so, uh, that doesn't happen a lot. So people immediately think something bad happened. And when someone asks me now, you know, why did you leave Connecticut? Uh, my answer is this, uh, mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. was done with us there. Uh, the mission was finished okay, and we did what he wanted us to do. Now, can I pause there and sure. s- say you uh, went there to quote, plant a church uh-huh. end quote. Now, what do you think God was doing in hindsight? Well, I know now that God's intent was not to establish a church. Mm-hmm. And by establish, uh, you mean long-term? Yeah. Yeah. What I mean is, you know, what, it, what people have in their mind of the American idea of an established church. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it has its own building. It has, its, you know, a <laughs> bunch of programs. It has maybe its own van or bus and it, uh, it, it, you know, brings in, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars a month, you know, multi, you know, 
million dollar a year ministry, <laughs> um, self-supported pastor, self-supported I mean, pastor you know, where, where they're paying him a full-time I mean, salary yeah. that mm-hmm. he can subsist on, um, you know, that sort of thing. <clears throat> and it's full of established people. Um, that's not what God had in mind. Mm-hmm. I thought that's what God had in mind, mm-hmm. um, to begin with. And, and many times the Lord only shows us a little bit ahead, sort of like the headlights on our car. <laughs> And where the headlights were shining a decade ago, what we saw was, oh, God wants us to establish a church. What we know now is that God does not intend to establish a church in every place. Hmm. Uh, Not even the Apostle Paul was able to establish a church in every place that he went. And, and, you know, we don't, we don't often give him short shrift as a failure, uh, for those attempts in those places. Mm-hmm. Did he do what God called him to do? Yes. Did he see some degree of fruit in those places? Yes. Mm-hmm. Were those local people made more responsible before God for their rejection of him? Yes. All of those things were accomplished with our ministry in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. And of course, your reference to where the local tr- people made more responsible would be... Uh, you know, validated by the passage in, in the Gospels where Jesus said, woe unto thee, Chorus and Bethsaida, right? Because the idea that you, you've seen something other people have not seen, thus your judgment will be greater. You've had, as we would often say, a greater degree of light, um, which you have responded negatively toward. Right. And that's a good phrase. And that maybe is the most succinct answer to your question is that the mission God sent us on there was to be light bringers. Good. Um, We we brought the light of the gospel there. Uh, Most of the people we dealt with rejected it. And um, that's okay. That is not a bad result. Mm -hmm. People are freaking out listening to that because they're like, wait, shouldn't they have been saved? I mean, that's you, you mean it's a not a bad result that they didn't get saved? No, it's actually not. And maybe from the human perspective, that's a bad result because well, we want to sure. see everybody get saved and we love people and so on. But the fact is, if someone rejects God and they stand before him someday and they receive their judgment, God's attribute of justice is is enacted in that individual. And God receives glory for his attribute of justice, just mm-hmm. as much as he receives glory for his attribute of grace. Um, so we, you have to understand when people reject you and your ministry, you are not a failure. Right, right. Yeah. And that's a good thing to good, good thing to soak in. Uh, otherwise, we would have to say that Jesus was a failure too. And and I remember the passage in Peter where it says the Lord is not willing that any perish. Does he does he want them to um, to deny and to be judged? No. no, he wants to redeem them to himself, uh, redeem them to himself. But sure, but but my 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 point is that he is just as and people are people might freak out. He is just as satisfied with his attribute of justice. And he's, he's glorified still by their mm-hmm. response one way or the other. And I think yes. the, the practical application of that is, what, again, what you said is that if you go and you bear light and you're a, you're a consistent, accurate repre- representation of the Lord and they reject it, no, yeah. it's, it's, no, it's not a failure to, to mm-hmm. you. It, it's, no. You've done what you should. And, uh, well, I, had, uh, I, I told someone the other day about this. 
And their response was, they looked at me with a sad face and said, I'm sorry. Meaning As I, if, I'm sorry it I, turned out that way. Yeah. Like I had, I had told them that we moved from Connecticut and we, we shut down the ministry work there. And they said, I'm sorry. As if someone had died. Like, like the response would have been no different as if I had told them that I just lost a parent mm-hmm. and, and they're like, I'm sorry. And I told them, I said, you don't have to be sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. mission was accomplished and there is fruit that remains there in Connecticut. And there are people who will be in heaven one day uh, because of the ministry that we had there. That's what God wanted. And the rest will be mm-hmm. held responsible for their rejection. That yeah. is what God wanted. There's no reason to be sorry. And he was um, like, oh, well, okay. I hadn't thought of yeah. it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and partly maybe he's feeling that you would be sad that you were, you were, well, maybe, yeah. The thought that you felt like you had failed because it, yeah. you didn't accomplish well, what you had originally thought you, you might. Well, when, what, what makes me, what makes me sad is not the fact that we left. What makes me sad is that most people in our circles view that as a failure when it isn't. Yes. Right. Right. Um, looking at, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we would all do things differently to a point if we knew now what we could know in the future. But let me ask you, when you think about your original presentations to churches, you know, I'm Tom Belzamo, this is my family, and we're going to Norwich, Connecticut to fill in the blank. Um, would you verbalize your intentions differently if you knew what you know now? I would verbalize it differently. Okay. I don't, I wouldn't do anything differently. Right. Right. Um, so what, what would it, how would it sound different? Um, well, l- let me, let me back up a little bit there. There may be a couple things I would do differently, which I'll get to in a minute, but the way that I would say it differently is that God would be leading us to Norwich, Connecticut to bring the light of the gospel. Good. I think often tip, the typical presentation, correct me if I'm wrong, you've been in more conferences than I have, <laughs> I mean, missions conferences, um, is I'm called to plant a church or mm-hmm. I'm called to this country and we're going to plant a church, disciple the believers, uh, blah, blah, blah. And they kind of lay out a three, you know, step thing for, you know, starting a school and whatever, whatever. And that's the, t- and that, of course, that's, that's their goal. And I, and I can understand yeah. that. However, they may not be taking into account that that may not that may not materialize there. So they're sort of stating by stating that intention. Uh, do they sort of yeah. set themselves up for potential feeling of failure if they uh, don't? Oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. But unless you say it that way, fat chance getting support. Mm. Um, so I'll tell you a personal story here. When we first started raising support. And we raised about 65% of the needed support that we needed mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. When, when we went to the field. Uh, in, in, so we went on deputation for a little bit. That was what we were counseled to do by a, a pastor in Connecticut in a different part of the state. So, so we took his advice and we raised support. Um, and one of the first deputation meetings that we had, I remember it was a church in Pennsylvania, and the pastor there's a personal friend of mine and uh, we still keep in touch so you know if if you're listening to this you might remember this story <laughs> you might know who you are um but uh, it was kind of a funny a funny thing that happened because in my mind i was being called to bring the light of the gospel to connecticut hmm. so i gave a presentation 
to the pastor and the men of the church separately. It wasn't even to the entire church yet. Hmm. And uh, the plans that I'd laid out were basically about how we would reach out and everything and, and such. And, and he asked, so, so what's your plan? And in my mind, I'm thinking, how do I answer this? Because I just told him my plan. I'm going <laughs> there to give the gospel to people. Um, and he, what he wanted to hear was, what are the steps you're laying out to start a church? Because it's viewed in our circles that if you don't have a plan for starting a church, uh, then then you just you're not to be taken seriously. You, you mm-hmm. kind of just are, are wishy washy and or whatever. Um, now, now ultimately, the goal of seeing people saved is to see a church established. Right. Right. Sure. <laughs> But it is something that I believe now, looking back, happens more organically mm-hmm. than it does in a forced way or contrived way. So we did the traditional thing where you have an opening day and you promote it and you mm-hmm. canvas the whole town and all that. I would not do it that way again. Mm-hmm. In fact, when you think about it, it's kind of stupid. It's sort of a mass marketing approach Mm -hmm. to planting a church. But I had read some manual on church planting that said to do it that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, A much better way to do it would be simply put someone on the ground in the place, have that person give the gospel as a way of life Mm -hmm. and, and support them while they do that. And as people get saved and discipled, saved and baptized and discipled, they begin to meet together over time. Maybe it's in their living room. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's in a, uh, a friend's house. Maybe it's in a, a storefront, whatever it might be, but it's much more organic that way. But when you try to plant a church where you have this established looking thing from day one and just invite people to it, mm-hmm. it isn't right. It just isn't right. Mm. It's not, first of all, it's not a biblical method in my opinion. I know that now. Um, but when you raise support, you have to almost do it the wrong way. Otherwise, people won't take you seriously. I, I recall uh, a missions trip here 10, 11, I guess it was 11 years ago now, uh, 11 or 12. And we had the privilege of going to both Kenya and Uganda, Africa, and, uh, and really was a tremendous trip. And in, in that time, we spent uh, time, uh, quite a bit of time with a uh, if you want to call say veteran missionary there that had been there for a number of years, but admitted that as we started, we, uh, we were trying maybe one way and we've, we've come to realize a more effective way. And as he shared that, uh, it's, it's sounding similar to what you're saying. He would, you know, he would train a man, uh, to go say, you know, in, into his village and, and to evangelize and have Bible studies he said, don't, don't meet on Sunday. Don't call it church. This is a Bible study, you know, and as you see people say, and then, you know, he'd go through that and then he would train him to the next step. Okay, now you need to do this. And then, and then as a white man, he would only show up with him a couple few times, maybe for the, con- the official constituting of the church. But the perspective of the white man was so toxic in the sense that yeah. white is money. And so, and so he tried to keep detached from as much as possible, but train right. them along that process. But he was saying something similar in that you don't go find the building first and then invite, you know, you go and you right. win people, then you begin to study with them. And then eventually you constitute a church. Are you saying right. that, that your thought is similar, even on American soil, that that, that philosophy should be considered? I think it should be. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it should be, but we have a completely backwards and skewed view of what a church even is in most Baptist circles today. Mm-hmm. We we envision this place that's established and has a steeple and has programs and has it's full of people and all that, and unfortunately, unsaved people in America think the same. So if you mm-hmm. invite mm-hmm. them to something and it's it doesn't look like an established church, they're more awkward about it. Um, so in a sense, yeah, a, a right. more holistic approach, a, a more organic approach would be literally just one person at a time as you see them saved and baptized and discipled or even, even not baptized yet. You could, I would say even, you could even delay the baptism until right. you've got more folks together uh, so that there are witnesses and so on uh, until you've constituted. But, you know, as far as, uh, and, and I'm sure there's probably some people freaking out at that thought too, um, but the idea should be more organic. It should be more from the ground up rather than this approach of you got to just blitz the whole area and say, we have a church here now and you ought to come to it. Well, well, no, we don't have a church yet. <laughs> if it's just you um, and your family, you're saying. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, not to be pedantic, I do think that can constitute a church when mm-hmm. you're looking to start a new work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, if your family are believers, then then you can meet together uh, oh, as a yeah. church when you're looking to bring other people into it. But even if you have um, a, a couple families, you your family and those couple families, you know, do represent a small church, um, right? So, okay. Um, we, uh, I have another question here to ask and we can keep talking. Um, you want to roll over into the after show here or? Yeah. In fact, I mean, maybe we can do, do it a little different cause we didn't get very far. Um, we can just roll right into the after show now and just make it a free episode. We do that from time to time Okay, is we offer an episode of the after show for free. Yep. Um, so I mean, I say we just go right into it. Okay make it a longer episode. Okay. I want to jump back just to highlight something to, uh, to our listeners that when you went there, uh, as you had said, there had been attempts in the past. Um, it was a, uh, a, a difficult region. That's another, another subject in a sense, but, um, something that came to mind as you were talking was that your church and you did, uh, you did plant a church, mm-hmm. um, were largely first generation Christians. Am I right? Uh, yes, uh, I would say so. Um, so there is, there is one lady that I think may have, uh, been saved sometime prior to, to us knowing her, but her husband for sure, uh, was not, uh, by his own admission. Uh, um, and, uh, there were several other folks, uh, I don't want to give too many, you know, details over yeah, the internet yeah, yeah, about their no. life, but, um, <clears throat> but basically by the time we left Connecticut, all the people that remained with our church were folks that were saved and baptized and discipled under our ministry. Neat. And I, and I have to say, you know, there's some of the names I, I don't know that, uh, I, I had met a few early on several years back, but, um, but as you would share, it's like my heart was blessed by them. I don't even know their face. I just knew their name, oh. that they were faithful and that they were growing and that, mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean? And so if they, if they happen to listen to this episode, I would want them to know that they're, you know, some of them are, are, a ble- have been a blessing to me just in hearing of them and, uh, yeah. and the blessing they were to you. Um, yeah, they were an incredible blessing to me. Um, I, I would, uh, I would take a bullet for any one of them. Um, 
and 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 there was a, a love and a kinship that we had uh, amongst ourselves by the time that we left. Um, now we uh, we would say that um, there you know we could we could highlight obviously the difficulties of planting a especially a first generation church a first generation Christian church, um, but what highlight for me some of the blessings of planting a church of being the one who uh well who who's who determines the direction and the steps and and takes all that what what's the what's the the you're not you're not just a guy who came in as the fifth generation pastor right <clears throat> to continue and to steer the ship but you're kind of building the ship <laughs> right? yeah so what's yeah. the what's the blessing of that well the blessing is your independence um, if you're from. talking just from a purely administrative standpoint, mm-hmm. you have okay. the blessing of not having to, uh, dare I say, undo. <laughs> right. Do it the way that everybody else already done, always done it. Right, right. And I, I know I know pastors who have done this where they come into a church that they're, you know, they, they candidate at a place. They've never been there really before, but they're candidating there and the people don't know him and he doesn't know them and he ends up taking the church and it turns out he does things totally different from what yeah. people have been used to. And, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I hope this isn't crass, but the people that will give you the hardest time, uh, as a pastor are the people with experience. <laughs> Um, in, in the, in the, the years that we were in Connecticut, the people that gave me the most grief are people that were experienced from other churches. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Those, those were the people, those are the people that stirred up trouble. Those are the people that had weird doctrinal views. Those are the people who thought they were smart and weren't. Uh, those are the people that caused the most grief and heartache. And some of them even nearly split the church. I mean, it, unbelievable grief. And meanwhile, you have these folks who didn't have much of a church background, or maybe they had limited church background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they came to us and and got saved and discipled and so on. And they were just the biggest blessing in the world. And they're listening to the preaching. They're growing. They're yeah. they're, they're taking what you're feeding them. You know. Yeah, but without... and that's actually the second blessing I was going to mention. Okay. Is okay. When someone gets it, that's that's the biggest blessing uh-huh. to my heart uh, as a pastor was to see when someone gets it. So, like I said earlier, the people that we had when we left Connecticut in our church the most wonderful, sweet-spirited group of people that you, I, I would, I think any pastor would give, you know, his left arm mm-hmm. to have people like these in their church. And these were relatively new Christians, newer Christians. <clears throat> um, and they would, during the week, re-listen to the sermons, like yeah. more than once sometimes. Wow. They would read in personal Bible study and then ask questions about what they read during the week. Mm-hmm. They would lead their kids in um, Bible studies and teach their kids the Word of God, uh, trying to lead their kids to Christ. Uh, I mean, I, I'm serious. It was the biggest blessing to see when when people just latched onto it, and you could also see too when it would click for them when they would finally realize, "Hey, you know what? I can understand the Bible. It's just a matter of knowing how to study it." And in when preaching is is done a certain way, 
it actually is giving people the ammunition to then study it themselves too. Mm, yeah. And you're showing them a template, giving them a template. Here's how you that, do it. Yeah, that's a good way to say it, a template. That's what they would get in the preaching is a template for study. Mm-hmm. So then they would study during the week and they they text me questions or email me questions throughout the week. Uh, or they'd tell me about some instance they had where they were talking with someone about uh, the gospel or, or the Bible. And uh, I mean, it, you just couldn't ask for better. Um, yeah. Neat. So... Good. Any others that you want to mention before I ask you the next question? Uh, others. Any, any other blessings? Other blessings. Um, those are the two big ones that come to mind is just that, you know, you have the independence of, of mm-hmm. not having to undo someone else's work mm-hmm. and you have the, the blessing when, when people really latch onto the scriptures and they start to get it. That, yes. It. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I was going to ask, so, and I think we had touched on this before, but maybe not taken it uh, fully through. What steps did you take um, to transition the church itself, the the people, uh, for your departure? What 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 steps did you take? So I spent a while uh, explaining to them sort of what is important in a church, mm-hmm. and. Uh, in many ways, I was kind of preaching to the choir at that point. I, I think they they knew what makes a good church. Um, Intuitively, I had laid, without having a list, they just sort of sensed our church right. is a good church. And right, I had spent an enormous amount of time and energy in the preaching, mm-hmm. uh, woven through in pieces here and there, attempting to lay a groundwork for how to identify good preaching, good pastors, good churches, good Christians, good processes. Um, and they would pick it up. They would pick it up. I, I didn't like preach like one sermon on the whole thing. Mm-hmm, I would mm-hmm. I would stick it in in bits and pieces. Here's why we do this this way. You know, that would be one point of a message, you know, is explaining why we do it this way or why, why, why shouldn't it be done the way we commonly see it or so on. And, and I'd weave it through there. Uh, so that was part of it, <clears throat> and that was deliberate. Um, and another thing is that uh, by the time I was leaving there, I did preach an entire message. Essentially, uh, is an encouraging message, uh, not so much a teaching message, but an encouraging message that you you are prepared. Um, mm-hmm. You you know what to do uh when when you identify this in a church in a pastor in the future you know what to look for you you know uh so trying to just tell them and 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 give them a feeling of strength that we we can discern this yeah they don't have, have to be dependent on you to say here's the man to go to but to say you have the ability to discern you have a discernment right right and uh i did contact another pastor in the state um, about 40 minutes away, which by Connecticut standards is a long commute. (laughs) Um, so I was a little concerned, are they going to be willing to make this commute to church 40 Mm -hmm. minutes away? Um, and the reason why I, I set up a relationship with this man, um, before all of this happened is because he was very like-minded uh, with what we believe mm-hmm. and how we do things. Uh, he mm-hmm. has a very biblical philosophy of ministry. And there were closer churches to us in Connecticut that I could have referred our people to, but, but 
mm-hmm. I would never join them myself. Mm-hmm. So some of the churches near us were very extreme in certain areas. So one one big extremity, practically both. Okay, both. Um, so, so like, uh, I'm thinking of some churches in our area that, you know, we're big soul winning churches and, and meanwhile, they don't really understand biblical soul winning. Um, they don't even, they don't even understand biblical repentance and yet they're a soul winning church. Um, <clears throat> I could not in good conscience recommend our people go to a place like that because mm-hmm. often hand in hand, what you get with that is places where the preaching is just sort of, uh, boisterous and, and hollow. And uh, a lot of hot air uh, and, you know, some moral truths from a few Bible verses, but no real meat, Um, all sizzle and no steak, (laughs) as they say. (laughs) Um, And I did not want to recommend our people to a church like that. And um, there, so, so I think our people would have actually been quite uncomfortable with that. Mm -hmm. They, they knew by that point that that's just kind of sanctified entertainment that's kind of showy, but it's not real meaty. They understood that. Okay. Um, and there were some other churches that had different extremes. So like one, one church, you know, was sort of very, um, very libertine in their leanings. So a mm-hmm. very flashy and showy and their music was very kind of contemporary leaning, mm-hmm. uh, very blended form of worship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but again, you're not going to hear a message there that's uncomfortable. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Not that every message needs to be uncomfortable, but this was a kind of church where you'll never feel an uncomfortable message. Mm -hmm. Um, and our people would not have been comfortable there. Uh, one of them, in fact, voiced that opinion, (laughs) um, and, and, you know, other churches in the state, you know, I could recommend them for a lot of reasons, but there's always an extreme doctrine. So they're either extreme on the, the soul winning without repentance thing, or they're extreme on like the KJV only view mm-hmm. where they're basically Ruckmanites, mm-hmm. but they won't mm-hmm. admit it. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're extreme on the local church only view mm-hmm. where they're, you know, they're Good very in, in, intelligent sounding and, and very friendly, but there's just an extremeness to that doctrine there that creates some bad fruit. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so, so all of these reasons I'm thinking, boy, every church I'm looking at has kind of an extreme something an extreme this or that. And I established a relationship with this man who was basically a very balanced individual. He mm-hmm. would feel right at home on the reason together podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was 40 minutes away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I set up a meeting between that man and <clears throat> our remaining church members and myself. And we met at a, a neutral location, kind of halfway between our churches. And I told our people, ask this man whatever you'd like to ask him. Doctrinal, practical questions, whatever, whatever you want to ask him. Ask him about his background. Ask him what he thinks about this or that. <clears throat> and I told him, if he is a true shepherd, he will not be offended by you wanting to know. Right. He will not be offended by you questioning his, his, his views. He won't be. If he gets angry at you asking him a question about his doctrine or practice, that is not the man you want as a pastor. Um, so, um, we had a wonderful meeting together with the man mm-hmm. and, uh, the people really liked him <clears throat> and that was sort of 
my attempt to sort of shepherd right up until the end there. Yes. Shepherd them to another shepherd. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, then obviously as you're still a congregation and, uh, and you're a constituted church, do you just, uh, I mean, you are um, legally recognized as a church and mm-hmm. you sense the Lord's leading me away and not just me away as a pastor to where another pastor is going to come into this location, this flock, but rather I'm, I'm uh, leading this flock to another shepherd. Um, what do you do with that name of your church? Um, so it, it's a multi-step process where the, the remaining members have to actually vote to do this. Um, there is a vote that is required to mm-hmm. decommission. Is that uh, in your bylaws? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it is. Uh, as well as uh, essentially distributing the remaining assets. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, distributing those the right way. So you can't just have a yard sale and sell that stuff off and pocket the uh, the, the <laughs> cash. <laughs> um, yeah. That stuff has to be donated to a church of like faith or a ministry of like faith um, as far as the material goods goes. So we spent a while looking for other churches to give that stuff to, and we managed to find places for it all to go. And then remaining finances are used to pay whatever remaining bills there are of the church. And um, we did end up also distributing the final balance amongst the missionaries of the church. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was it. I think the very last thing was, uh, just the other day we paid the final light bill mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was mm-hmm. it for the church account. So, <clears throat> um, it has to be done by a process that is informed by the bylaws. Um, yes. Um, yeah. good, good. Uh, one person had commented, um, uh, I think about your situation. Uh, I've never heard of that being done before. Well, uh, you know, we, we may not hear of that kind of transition much. However, when it is done, I don't know how many times it is done according to bylaws. It, what, how, much, how many times it is done to actually, uh, if I could use the terminology, close up shop and do it correctly, you know? Yeah. You don't yeah. just walk away well, from the building. Sure. You, yeah. I've heard horror stories about people coming in on a Sunday for church, just like any other Sunday, and the pastor gets up and announces we're closing next week. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. No, there's prep- no, no preparation. No. No, no, no official process, no, nothing done above reproach or above board. It's just all, yep, we're done. And it's like, there's a reason why folks in our circles haven't heard of this happening this way is because in most cases, it's just not done in an organized or legal or reputable fashion. Good. Um, and not good that it's not done that way, but I mean, (gasps) yes. Um, so, uh, then when you, uh, do you call that a deconstitution, baby? Basically, uh, baby. there's different words. <laughs> that word came out wrong. You call that a deconstitution, baby? Um, that's not. What oh, I, meant to I say. thought you said maybe. No. Maybe. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> I see what happened there. Um, <clears throat> I've heard it called a, a formal dissolution. Dissolution. Um, there you go. Okay. I've heard it called decommissioning or uh, deconstituting a work. Uh, any any of those words is fine. Okay. So with the dissolution, when you vote uh, as a congregation to dissolve, then what is the, uh, just quickly here, what is the follow-up to that uh, regarding, say, the uh, legal acknowledgement of your church? Okay. So obviously you have a you're a 501c3 and 
Uh, so with with the Secretary of State, uh, you usually have a filing with them annually. They okay. recognize that your organization exists. Uh, you, it's literally as simple as going on to the Secretary of State's website and filing a dissolution notice. Okay. Okay. And they'll give you a certificate that it's official uh, as of the date that you select. And then, of course, you have to contact your life insurance or not life insurance, mm. your liability insurance people mm-hmm. so that you're covered right up until that date. Yep. Uh, you have to contact your, uh, in our case, we had a landlord because uh, mm-hmm. we leased the space mm-hmm. and arrange for the final day. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure all of the repairs and things are done that need to be. Um, so you're in accordance with your lease mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, schedule all your utilities. Yep cease on that day so you can uh, schedule out your final bills and so on. There's there's a lot that goes into it. And, and on top of all this, you're trying to liquidate all of the assets to other places. Right. Um, so. Yes. Okay. Good. Well, that's, that's a practical help. Um, now to go back to what, uh, to, to go back to not just the nuts and bolts of what you had to do, but the perceptions that are involved there, um, any comment you want to make as far as um, how you or maybe um, your family or your wife have handled it? Different people handle it differently. Some people, I don't care what people think, but other people uh, are more affected by that. And whether you, whether you care what people think or not, you still hear it sometimes. Yeah. Um, so have you run, have you run up against uh, um, a variety of responses and how do you deal with those? Uh, well, the one I mentioned earlier was when someone said, I'm sorry to hear that. And they act like somebody died. Mm -hmm. Um, the other response is of course, disappointment, which is maybe a close cousin to that. Disappointment Um, by you or by others? By others. Okay. Are, Are you talking about my, my own personal feelings on it? I could go both ways, but let's start with other people's, um, take on it. They're disappointed with what they see, you're saying. Yeah, they're disappointed with what they see. And um, the one guy said to me, and I almost hesitate to say it because it's almost, it was like a compliment to me. And I don't want to compliment myself here, mm-hmm. but try mm-hmm. to understand my spirit in saying it. He said, he said, I understand this is what the Lord wants. This is a guy in our church, actually. He says, I understand what the Lord wants. It just, it hurts to see someone who's good at something, not do that something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That, that was his words, not mine. Mm-hmm. And I get that. I understand that, that that feels a little disappointing, but uh, I had nearly a decade to hone the, the gifts that God has given me that felt natural to me. Mm-hmm. Right. So like administration, leadership, teaching, instruction, those things were natural to me. And honestly, I think the phase that we're entering now, I think the Lord wants me to hone the spiritual gifts that I'm not so natural at. (laughs) Encouragement, mercy, uh, being a prayer warrior for someone else. You know, Mm. those are things I struggle with a little more so than leadership, administration, and teaching. So Honestly, I, I, I realize that people might be disappointed to say, oh, he's not doing that anymore. Yeah, but I think God is trying to help me hone my other gifts. You know, and, and that's not just my gifts. I mean, it's the same for every Christian. You have gifts you're, you're natural at, and you have others that you're not so natural at. And I feel like I have an opportunity now to really get good at the things that I'm not so naturally good at. 
What a great perspective. Um, and also by you now, you know, coming under uh, another pastor, and by that I don't mean that you're on staff, but that you're you're being shepherded, um, you have the opportunity to be what you wish you had, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying that, yes. the, the, that you didn't have some folks that were that way, but like you're saying, you get to be a support and encouragement and a prayer for someone else. And, uh, and you, yeah. you understand much more deeply, uh, than your average bear, what that pastor may be going through and what kind of praying and encouragement he might want and need at given times. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, that, uh, that's, I guess the part I'm looking forward to is getting good at, at the next, the next thing. Yeah. Um, as far as other perspectives that people have, uh, about it, that, I've, I've gotten was the idea of quitting that Mm -hmm. people view what we did as quitting. And and again, this is a completely wrong perspective. Um, the mission was accomplished. The mission was to bring the light of the gospel and to see fruit that remains. And that is what we did. Mm -hmm. Um, there is fruit that remains there. Uh, and we brought the light of the gospel. So, uh, as far as, as far as quitting goes, people view not quitting as a virtue, Um, but, Mm -hmm. and, and usually that's how I am. So, so I'm, I'm one of those guys who stubbornly hangs on. Um, in fact, we, we knew for probably two plus years that the Lord was going to be moving us on. We just didn't know when, Mm -hmm. but I made no attempts to make that happen. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I knew the Lord was going to move us on, but I was just content to just kind of plug my ears and ignore that and stay. And it did affect my health as a result. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know me, I, I worked like a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I slept very little uh, for quite a while and it affected my health. You wouldn't think that sleep can affect your health or lack of sleep can affect your health that bad, oh. but it does. It totally yeah. does. And, and yeah. stress levels, yeah, because it increases your cortisol and stress levels go up and there's a whole host of resulting things from cortisol that just mess you up. So, um, when it comes to the idea of quitting people who believe it's a virtue to not quit are forgetting a very important detail Mm -hmm. that it's not a virtue to stick it out. If the Lord has lifted his hand from a thing. Yes. Right. There's no virtue in going further than the Lord is going to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In fact, at that point it's, it's a vice. It's kind of stupid. Mm -hmm. It's foolish. Yeah brutish. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, and that whole concept plays on the idea that, uh, you, uh, you quit something that you were supposed to do. And that's what we're saying is, you know, in, in hindsight, you, you know, it became clear, oh, what I originally thought I, I wanted to do or what the Lord was going to do. I'm, I'm realizing now, okay, he's doing something a little differently and I can, yep. uh, I can, sense his, his being done and thus my being done. It just, um, the same, the same way that, you know, they might say, well, you, you said that you were called to plant a church. Well, I was, I was verbalizing the best I knew how I, I thought yep. that's where God was going. Sometimes we feel like I'm going from A to C, he gets me to B and changes direction and that's okay. Yeah. Well, and two, I, part of it is, you know, uh, I don't think it's uncommon for the Lord to let you get a certain direction in life like that. Sure. Right. 
Um, like, w- w- did the Lord call us to plant the church? <clears throat> you know, were were we wrong in saying that originally? No, because that's what the Lord led us to believe. That is what he wanted us to believe then. And it's not that he changed his mind. It's just that he knows if he would have given me the goal of just going and bringing the gospel there, that I wouldn't have had a goal in mind. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is that making mm-hmm. sense? Like the mm-hmm. Lord will sometimes let you have a goal for a while, even though that's not ultimately where he wants you to end up. Well, and there may be some assumptions that we carry with it um, to say, right. um, and, and we've talked about this personally, this this concept of, uh, of a call. Uh, we say, well, he has called me. And so with the concept of a call, then I have to have a destination. And mm-hmm. it has to be this one singular thing. Instead of, I feel led to be a light bearer to those in Connecticut, yeah. it's I feel called to X. And that X is planning a church. Well, you did, but the assumptions that go with that, and it and it's just, uh, it's not evil. It's just, uh, it just is expected oftentimes by where we're at in our knowledge of things. The assumption is, like you kind of mentioned yeah. earlier, well, that church is going to last and it will grow and it will become this and it will become that. Well, that's all kind of assumptions. Uh, this was the direction I was headed. This is the thing I accomplished. Um, and, and it may not, it may not yeah. realize and materialize all the the assumptions that I had with it. Um, sure. I should take a moment to address also sort of the misperception that many Baptists have about vocational ministry. And it comes from a theological error, uh, a hermeneutical error uh, out of Romans 11. I think it's Romans eleven twenty nine, And uh, I actually wrote an article on this years ago now uh on the reason together uh site i think i think it was years ago actually no i wrote it on my personal blog okay years ago and then i think when we started the reason together blog i just copied it over to that Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's called permanent call versus permanent vocation and Mm -hmm. people people you know will think oh tom left full-time ministry but i didn't Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still in full-time ministry just as I was before. There's just a difference now that I'm not vocationally in ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my ministry looks a little different now, but every Christian is in full-time ministry. Should be. And yep. occasionally <laughs> the Lord, yeah, they should be. Occasionally the Lord deploys one of those people to a vocational sense of ministry for a mm-hmm. while. And that doesn't mean that he is locked in for life to vocational ministry because we in our minds have separated vocational ministry as being of a higher quality, of a higher sort than regular Christian service. And and it really isn't. It really isn't. Qualitatively speaking, every person should be in full-time Christian ministry. And that's not going to look the same for everybody. Obviously, if you're working a regular job... You're not going to have the same amount of time to dedicate to, you know, (laughs) making phone calls and, you know, blitzing neighborhoods and making prospects. You're not going to have the same amount of time as a pastor will who does this vocationally. But when you're on your job and you give the gospel to your coworker or you tell them you're going to pray for them and you become essentially the pastor of your workplace, Hmm. um, 
which I have been called, right? That's what led me into the ministry originally was I was known as sort of a, a pastor of my workplace uh, because I was always talking about the things of God at Hannibal Regional Hospital. And mm-hmm. I became known for that. And eventually I said, you know what? I enjoy that more than my actual job. Mm. And the Lord used that to lead me into vocational ministry. But I'm still in ministry now. It's just not vocational. And my ministry yes, now right. is one in which I am a prayer supporter for a couple of pastors. And I am a, I give the ministry of my presence because I know what that does for a pastor in a church mm. when you're not there. Mm-hmm. So I'm making sure that I'm there and the I'm trying to help. Yeah, the ministry of presence is underrated, but uh, I think more people need to be called to the ministry of being a good church member. <laughs> yes, good. And, um, and that is what I, that is what our ministry is now. Is there are, are there ways that you felt that you needed to protect your wife or kids in the transition? <sighs> huh. Yes. I, I know that there are, and I suppose I haven't really yet verbalized what those verbalized them to myself in, in a categorized way, like you're asking. Okay. Uh, so it's a little hard to put my finger on, but okay. honestly, I don't feel like we had to protect ourselves from any sort of uh, problem with the people from our our own church. Right. They right. they they understood. They mm-hmm. got it. Like I said, I think any church would love to have those people uh, in their church. They understood. Um, really, the the number one way to try and protect my family is to do what I'm doing now, is to explain this. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. The, the primary threat to my family is, is really from people who don't understand mm-hmm. real ministry. Uh, people who sit in Baptist churches hearing that, you know, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And then they see some preacher leave a church plant. Uh, well, they're going to look at our whole family sideways now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in many ways doing what I'm doing now is the best protection I can offer to my family is to help try and change the stigma uh, behind that in our circles that comes from poor theology. Um, <clears throat> so... I don't know. Is that I, kind of what you're getting at, or are you thinking of something else? Uh, well, I, I didn't have a specific uh, in mind, but I think that's a good a good answer. And I feel like if our listeners could get um, the idea of uh, the fluid motion of surrender, um, mm-hmm. that that you know your life when you are when you're giving your testimony to someone and you say. You know, I had the privilege for nine years um, of uh, of working vocationally uh, in the ministry in, in in Connecticut, and what a blessing that was. And that's just a part of who I am and what I'm doing now. I'm doing something different. It wasn't a I launched out and I failed, and now I'm doing something else. No, it's just a part of who you were and and what God was leading you to do. That was a, a neat opportunity. You put yeah. your heart and soul into it. And you grew because of it. You're a better man. There's people whose lives are changed, and and on yeah. you move to do whatever else the Lord wants you to do. Um, and yeah. and I, that can be 
uh, I would imagine that can be liberating and that whole perspective uh, of just continued joy and surrender to God's leadership, even if it uh, is different than the stereotype or different than our assumptions right. or different than what we expect. Right. And, uh, you know, the way I think of it is like uh, tours or deployments in the military, right? Yeah. You know, those, those guys will get called up and they'll get on an airplane in the middle of the night and they'll be flown halfway around the world and they'll be there for so many weeks, months, maybe even years, <laughs> you know, and then they come back. Uh, and then they wait a while and then the Lord deploy or the, 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 the U S government deploys them somewhere else and so on. And it's almost like tours uh, as yeah. it were. And I think that is how it often is in, in ministry for people who are surrendered is that the Lord knows that they can, that he can call that person to do whatever and they'll do it. That's neat. And, That's neat. And he occasionally just deploys them differently. And I, to, to take a similar illustration, I think about, um, you know, some people uh, have what we call a uh, maybe a military career uh, or mm-hmm. they are a career military. That is, they stay in for 30 years. That's their thing. Uh, they uh, they've decided that's, you know, anyway, uh, not to draw the illustration too far. Other people do their eight year stint. And, you know, when somebody does their eight years and they say, you know, I'm, I'm done and I'm doing something else, we don't go, oh, so you failed in the military. No, no, they did what they signed up to do and they're yeah. done unless they get dishonorably discharged. Um, yeah. they, they gained experience. They move on in life. They're stronger because of it. We respect their service. Um, and other people stay in for 30 years, you know what yeah. I mean? Well, but, and even those people, they're not doing the same thing the whole 30 years. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. they are sent to different sure. places to do different things. <clears throat> and, and we, my wife and I, have a mutual agreement. Uh, it is often unspoken, but it is an agreement that we have that we follow the Lord. Mm-hmm. Whatever he wants us to do, that is what we do. Where he wants us to go, that is where we go. And we followed the Lord to Pennsylvania when we first got married. We followed him to Missouri. We followed him to Connecticut and we followed him now here to Tennessee. Um, we know that every single one of those moves, uh, as tumultuous as a move is, <laughs> we knew that every single one of them is what the Lord wanted. Mm. We know that. We knew it then. We know it now. And we know the same about this move. This is what the Lord wanted. We are people that follow the Lord where he wants us to go, period. Mm. And we have full confidence that whatever he wants us to do here, we're going to do it. <clears throat> we don't know what all those things are yet. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're we're simply in the, the full time ministry of being uh, being at a church mm-hmm. uh, and just being present and being prayer supporters to the pastors there and just being kind of that unspoken, you know, hey, I know you're bearing burdens you're not telling people about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I know what you're going through, and I'm praying for you about that. Um, just being that for another couple of pastors, mm-hmm. I, it feels so good. There's so much joy in that. And I, I am, I'm excited about this phase of our full-time service. Great. Great. Well, um, listeners, if you have any questions in particular, maybe you're curious about, uh, or, uh, or if it's been a, uh, 
peculiar blessing maybe to hear the perspective. We'd like to hear your thoughts. Um, Reason Together Podcast at gmail.com. As always, we open it to uh, to any question you might be having. Say, where what, does the scripture talk about this? What about this aspect of life? Um, certainly, we want to hear those as well. But uh, any question, any thought that you have, and maybe there's Maybe you've come from a similar background, a similar experience, something you want to add. Um, maybe it's not. Uh, as we said at the, at the outset, this could, this could hit different people different ways. Somebody who's been through something similar, somebody who uh, is in ministry, not in ministry, thinking about ministry. Um, there's a lot to be gleaned here. We look forward to hearing from you, reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. And I want to thank Tom for uh, being open enough to just take the entire episode and after show here to... Uh, to convey to us some of this transition in his own life. And uh, so, Tom, anything you want to finish with? No, just thank you for listening. Thank you for the good questions. And uh, thank you to the listeners for understanding that this is a little different of a normal episode (laughs) that we have. Um, But we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming uh, next time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For now, I guess we are encouraging balance, developing perspective and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. Mm -hmm.